Hello and welcome to the Alba Diversity Podcast, an Alba network undertaking to profile and highlight diverse and immigrant neuroscientists. We talk to neuroscientists across positions, career paths and backgrounds to better understand their personal journeys. We showcase the grit and determination it takes to overcome hurdles they face as part of underrepresented or minority groups. We also talk about what keeps them going as individuals and as neuroscientists in today's world. Today we have with us uh, Dr. Honoraya, and he works as a postdoc in uh, Australian National University. And the floor is all yours. Thank you. Thank you, Shruti. Uh, once again, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I am currently uh, working as a postdoc with uh, Greg Stewart here at Eccles Institute of Neuroscience in Australian National University. And I recently finished my PhD with the same group where I worked on binocular visual processing in rodents using optogenetics and cellular electrophysiology approaches. Um, both in vitro and in vivo techniques. This all started when, when I was growing up and in high school, I think one of my friends at that time had an accident, road accident, and he actually lost his vision. This is my first kind of introduction to to neuroscience, which intrigued me to to think about brain and and what it does in a a more broad sense. And this is when I started to think that there is much more to to this part that is sitting in our our skull. During that incident, uh, I spent a lot of time looking at what kind of solutions were were available. And I was kind of frustrated when I visit the doctors and and, uh, discuss these issues. They didn't have any solution. So that when time came to decide what I would do, um, I had to choose between engineering and medicine. And uh, I chose engineering to focus on electronics uh, circuit design. My idea at that time was if I could build a chip that could be implanted into, into the visually impaired people, it should perform as our visual cortex, for example, does and be able to restore vision. So that was my idea. It was not possible in if I had gone through medicine. So I, I decided that this would be a good approach. And then I had to face sort of other challenges once I uh, started working on this problem in my undergrad, uh, engineering undergrad. Not many people have working in engineering have a mechanistic understanding of the brain and, and the neurons, for example. So we, it was really hard for me to understand the concepts of how to translate the function into circuits, into, into the hardware. I, I visited a lot of hospitals and, and during this time um, to, to get more information from the doctors. And again, I was not getting what I wanted because they didn't really understand what was going on yeah, in the brain. You know, because I was not able to progress in this, uh, uh, after finishing my undergrad, I started working in an electronic uh, design company uh, where I would 
spend some time to understand uh, the basics of, of, of building a chip from scratch. At that time, it seemed like a good choice, but then I realized that I, I didn't want to go in that direction. So I quit my job into six months and then uh, started looking at positions within India, which would give me some training in neuroscience. During this, during this time, I came across a paper from Rodney Douglas, so with whom I ended up doing my master's. He was a pioneer in translating neuronal circuits onto hardware using analog chips. And this was something that, that I wanted. And, and this is, I was completely surprised because all the function was described in terms of analog circuits. And this language I could understand. Yeah, then in, in order to get more biological foundation, I moved to a short research position in Indian Institute of Science. At that time, Professor Rishikesh Narayanan recently set up his lab at the time. And he was also trained as an electronics engineer. So then he moved to Nyerson, so he completely understood, you know, what kind of training I was looking for. I wrote to him and then he immediately asked me to come to his lab and then that's how I started uh, working seriously in, in neuroscience. So there I worked on computational problems, but nevertheless it provided a solid foundation in terms of neurophysiology that is required to understand neuron function. That's really fascinating. Like a lot of biologists come the biology way, a lot yeah. of psychologists come the psychology way, but it's really nice to see. I mean, I, I feel like stories like this are not told as often and I'm really glad that we are having this conversation because computational yeah. neuroscientists come from like very different backgrounds yeah. and you know it's, it's kind of nice to see how you managed to like talk to people who mattered and then they referred you to like the people who they thought were were important for like the questions you were asking and I, I think yeah. that that speaks a lot to like the kind of people you are working with and that's really yeah. nice yeah yeah um, is there somebody like very specific who you think is like an excellent mentor or has been or is a mentor who, who sort of guided you through a lot of things? I mean, during my undergrad, my uh, supervisor there who's working on chip design, uh, she, her name is Uttara Kumari. So she was a head of the department at the time. So I have been fortunate to meet the people at the right stage who would go out of their way to help me in both in terms of progress in science as well as personally to make choices that uh, would lead to um, achieve my, my dreams and, and goals. Rishikesh Naran is one such person in, in Indian Institute of Science because I was completely inexperienced and he took me on and you know had the patience to train me and made me realize that it's important to ask right questions. So that was something that I've learned through my mentors. I've been fortunate to work with my role models and I followed them, you know, I approach them and then I go to them and I've been able to work with them as well. That's another part which is, which I think uh, played an important role. Uh, for example, Rodney Douglas is one such person and, and uh, he was trained as a medical doctor and a self-trained neurophysiologist and a pioneer in neuromorphic engineering. And his approach to science has influenced me a lot to think about problems in a very specific way. And also my current supervisor, Greg Stewart, is also one of the pioneers in, in describing single neuron function at a very detailed level. Mm -hmm. And he 
described a technique to record from dendrites. These are the thin branches that receive inputs and which we didn't previously know that had such computational abilities. After I, I did a short stint at Indian Institute of Science, I moved to Masters in Neural Systems and Computation. This was a joint program between ETH and University of Zurich. Their goal is to understand the biology and then develop artificial intelligent machines and circuits that would mimic the biology. And this was perfect for me. So this and Rodney Douglas was there and I went there to, to work with him. I spent most of the time building models, abstract models, again, these point neural models and trying to understand abstract computation. And uh, I finished my master's and started my PhD with Rodney, but he was retiring at the time. And, and we had to obtain funding from other outer sources. So at the time, IBM was developing a chip called TrueNorm, where we could implement up to 1 million uh, neurons on a single hardware. And I thought this is a perfect platform to test some of our findings that we have obtained from the biology and wanted to implement this on a large scale models and try and understand if we can make context dependent processor which would process auditory information on cue or visual information or some other sensory. But IBM at the time were not interested in these kind of biologically oriented approach. But because Rodney was very much interested in translating this, I had a very strong support from him. But uh, I had but this struggle with internally for me because this started at that time when I started investing more into the biology. I started realizing that what we were doing was not right and I should focus more on the biology. So I applied to Greg and I moved from Switzerland to, to Australia. I started working on binocular information processing in, in rodents and and I've been in love with electrophysiology so ever since. So it's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's close to my heart as a, as a fellow yeah. electrophysiologist. I, I it's so nice to meet somebody else who does something very similar. So I'm I'm really glad. But I'm glad you found something you enjoy doing with neuroscience, yeah. and that's really really the key. Since you've mentioned moving from Switzerland to Australia, well, also from India to Switzerland in in the beginning, I thought maybe you could like shift gears a little. consider yourself to be part of an immigrant or a minority group and, and then have, have there been times where you've sort of faced some sort of discrimination because of this? I do consider myself as a minority because not many of our people are doing neuroscience. This is relatively new and when we go into the lab for example right it's only only one or two maybe uh, from from our ethnic origin to be working in in, in this field and um, this is, I think, improving a lot because lots of people are becoming more aware of, of this field. And, and now I see a lot of, uh, you know, students from our uh, origin, uh, ethnic origin also, you know, pursuing PhDs and, and, and masters uh, more and more. But then at that time, and also the fields that I've chosen was so interdisciplinary and it right. was either you would find people in, in, in completely in the engineering front or in the biology. But because I was working at the interface, I didn't have um, much company um, in, in the sense. And uh, yeah, in the beginning, it was difficult to fit in because you don't, I mean, because you don't see 
people like you around. It's just um, harder um, to to feel like you're a part of of, of the neuroscience community. And that um, when I first moved to Switzerland, I felt that pretty strongly. Uh, but the labs that I worked with, fortunately, were very good in, in accommodating uh, diverse uh, background people well. So Rodney, I think he made an effort to have a very good and open lab space. It was based on the merit, not on the background. You could discuss ideas and everybody was welcome. But then when I go to gatherings, for example, scientific meetings, I have faced kind of uh, biases. In order to be taken seriously, you have to do more compared to your fellows, for example. Yeah, the scale is different, right? It's not very explicit also, I feel. It's a judgment and it comes rarely, but... When I'm presenting my work, in order for them to look at the work seriously, like it would take um, a lot of effort from my end to convince that I am worthy of doing this sort of experiments, okay? <laughs> it's, it's not just, I guess, worth, but it's more like most of the time I feel like most people who come and see or listen to your work can't believe that you've done yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's a hard sell because you're like, how can you, how can you yes. not believe? Like my name yes. is up there, my lab is up there, I've been in my lab, you see I'm a grad student and somehow yeah. there's this sense of disbelief where they're like, you did this? Really? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I- uh, that has, I mean, that has, uh, even though after I have worked for several years in this, um, that notion has still hasn't changed and that kind of um, bothers me and also it's, it's, it's sad um, that that is the case but in terms of the labs itself I was very fortunate to be a part of these groups where they have worked with people with different backgrounds I think that is important and they are more encouraging in terms of you know when I experienced such a thing at a conference I would be discussing with my supervisors and they would you know be understandable and that was very important for example my recent SFN experience so I was I was standing at my poster and they were you know when people would pass when they look at me standing in front of the poster they they don't really come to my poster <laughs> and they would just but what I realized is when I was not at the poster when they were looking at the content they were really interested so I when I was when I was not standing at my poster I saw that there were lots of people going to the post and then reading it but when I was standing they would just kind of assume maybe I don't know what goes on right it, no, it's hard. yeah yeah no I'm glad you're talking about it because these are the kind of things that it's, it, it's hard to talk about and then when yeah. you sort of go back and think about it like at the end of the day you go you're finished you're done with your poster you're sitting with your friends you're having a beer and everybody's talking about oh how many people came to your poster and you're sitting there wondering Really? Did that, did that many people come to my poster? Like, I'm not even sure. <laughs> yeah. And it, it yeah. makes you doubt yourself, right? It, it yeah. makes you doubt yeah. yourself, it makes you doubt your work. And that's that's a very implicit, very subtle bias. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you voiced it because I, I yeah. feel like I have experienced it in some form or another too. I, I feel like it's hard to describe, it's hard to quantify and... Yeah. And and it's it's hard to it's hard to voice because you the instant you voice it it feels like it feels wrong <laughs> like yeah. it feels like it's probably not true and you're just making like a big deal of, of out of it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I, I thought I shouldn't complain like that. It was, it is seen as complaining. Um, and, you know, I would, I just assume that I should just keep my mouth shut and then, you know, just sh- work really hard. But, but I, I, I find that, that those two are not uh, dependent on one another because it doesn't, if you want to judge someone's work purely on their merit, then they should get rid of these uh, preconceived biases. And, and again, this is not, I mean, as you said, it's really hard to, you know, quantify w- w- yep. what really goes on in, in these kinds of scenarios. And because in my, when I'm in a group, when I'm in, in the lab, when I'm in the department, I don't experience this at all. It's just no, everybody knows how each of us work and then they, um, you know, we have respect, even though if we work on different problems, we um, we respect each other and that's important. And, and uh, within the lab setting, within the department, it, I have never faced this problem because everyone understands this. And, and, and But my experience in this is when I go to these meetings, as I said, like gatherings and, and these huge gatherings and um, SFNS is, I think is one of the <laughs> biggest uh, meetings for you know, yeah, and yeah. there I was kind of, uh, I was disappointed uh, that this was, was there. I know you mentioned this earlier, but I'm just going to dig it up a little. You mentioned having worked in sort of Rodney's lab and, and Greg's lab, um, having a boss who respects diversity or having somebody who recognizes the importance of diversity. Has that done something good for you? Like, have you seen like a good outcome of having diverse thoughts, diverse people, people of different backgrounds? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think because they would be much more um, understandable in situations that are uh, which would not directly make sense to them also having a person with my background would help them to for example like certain situations are, are specific for our culture right and and um, for example like uh, we uh, are very attached to our parents we have a, to, we have to strong the family ties let's yes, yes, right? yes but then uh, the, I mean in, in Rodney's lab for example we had um, someone from, from Spain and at the time same time as I was uh, doing my masters and even their culture is similar to ours I would say and and Absolutely. Uh, no, you're right. just, yeah. <laughs> and and having like when we say that you know we needed a, a day off for example to interact with the family or, or you know, if there's any the things and and they would be very understanding. You know, this is just one example from my experience, right? I felt that like having a diverse work group within the within the lab is also very important, and it has certainly helped me to have this balance uh, with with my personal life and and the things that I do in the lab. And they understand once if if my progress has has you know it's not been optimal, for example, and the reasons are that. Are not something that they could completely understand, but they have been, you know, compassionate and and uh, uh, things like this, which which is important to because it's easy it's easy for one to when they don't understand something as as a norm, they could easily dismiss it, and then um, it it would have negatively impacted on my um, growth as a scientist because uh, sometimes it's it's very hard to dissociate the personal aspects uh, with with the science we do and 
having an understanding environment and, and a supervisor is, is I think it's very important. As you say, having diversity is, is, is so important to build empathy. Uh, yeah. And it's something that, that I think empathy is definitely in short supply in general all over the world, but in, in, in science for sure, right? Everybody is answering tough questions. Uh, it, it's it's yeah. a hard slog. We all have hard working hours and we all, we all do difficult experiments. Yeah. And not every day is like amazing. And you're right, having having somebody who who can empathize with you on the fact that yeah. oh, it was a tough day or you didn't have that a great conversation with family yeah. or something is yeah. up in your personal life. It, it, it makes yeah. a huge difference. Um, and that was like the impact of having a different ethnic origin, but then scientifically as well. Like if you think of a problem with a different approach, for mm-hmm. example, like when, when you're trying to understand a simple uh, data set, for example, right? You can look at it from different perspectives, right? Having this diverse work environment in the sense of each of them are working on a common problem, but then they're, 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 they're viewing it through different lenses, like, you know, using using biology, someone using mathematics, using engineering principles, right? So, so having this is also very important in my Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Experience yeah. and and you know some problems is is make sense you know, from a different perspective. Yeah. And ha- having a different approach also is is critically important. I think the questions that you raised are important, especially for people coming from a minority background. And um, it's good that we talk about these issues, which goes unnoticed in in academic settings. I'm really glad you feel that way. It's it's a growing movement and I'm so glad. Uh, I don't know how many people were aware before, but I'm glad even the people who are aware are sort of standing up now to talk about it. And I think- Yes. When I experienced it firsthand, um, it was um, strange and I didn't know if that was the norm or, you know, whether I could could speak against it. But then when I see that happening to my younger colleagues, I see the importance of speaking up and uh, that makes a lot of lot of difference on, in terms of uh, I think not only in, in, in our confidence to move forward but also having a good environment where you know everything is, is discussed openly and freely. Definitely. Yeah. It makes it makes the science we do more enjoyable and that much more important. Exactly. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alba Diversity Podcast. To know more about the ALBA network and its activities to promote equity and diversity in the brain sciences, please visit alba.network. You can also register as a member for free and take full advantage of the network's resources. For more details, follow the Twitter handle at network underscore ALBA or ALBA NetBrain on Facebook.